Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I hope you caught your breath from the last few days because Lord knows I needed the weekend to get my head around the following. End of the Bill Belichick era on Thursday. Start of the Gerard Mayo era on Friday. Oh, on Saturday, the Patriots might not even start to search for a GM. And if they do, it might happen until after the draft. And I could just go, I I need a beer to break. So after uh, re-watching The Sopranos, started up season one, almost done with it. A little playoff football, time at Encore and Everett with some friends. Uh, We're back, recording Monday afternoon. More than happy to talk Patriots, dive into everything that's happened or is about to happen in New England. The date time to know, however, for this week is Wednesday at noon. That is when we will get some answers from Gerard Bale as the head coach of the New England Patriots for the first time. Robert Kraft will be back and sitting for that press conference again Wednesday at noon. And we will talk to both of them, of course, about Gerard stepping in as a head coach and what that means for the future. Uh, until then... We are going to look at the jobs and people around him because, as I mentioned, and I had heard this Friday night, but I just go, that just doesn't make sense. Why would the Crafts want to wait until after the draft to hire a GM? Well, lo and behold, Adam Schefter says the same thing on Saturday. I tweeted out more reporting follows. Phil Perry, Mass Live, adding to the fact that right now it looks like Elliot Wolf and Matt Groh will remain at the top of the personnel department for the Patriots and lead them over the next four months, which, as you know, will include an all-too-critical draft. So the plan today is talk about Mayo's moves with the front office and coaching staff, uh, a little bit behind the craft thinking, and then get to a mega mailbag. It's been a while since it was just me. And when it's just me, I like to rely on you because, uh, look, I've gotten more comfortable with the sitting alone, talking to myself portion of this podcast. I think we all have more fun when there are more people involved. So we have, I think it's close to 10 questions today. Um, all right, starting with the coaching staff. Again, we'll get to the GM stuff. It was reported this morning by Sports Illustrated's Albert Breer that Mayo has extended offers to Steve and Brian Belichick to remain in his defensive staff. Right off the top, I think this is a wise move. Steve has been the primary defensive play caller for Gerard's entire tenure as an assistant in New England. Talk about the last five years. During that time, the Patriots had the number one top-ranked defense in the NFL by EPA per play against. Okay, so you're talking about the most advanced Metric we have, the most telling one, and the Patriots were the best defense since Steve Belichick took over the play sheet and Gerard Mayo came back into the staff. Seems important to me. I don't know about you. Uh, 
he has also served as the outside linebackers coach. The title for both of them the last couple of years has just been linebackers. But Steve handles the edge guides. Gerard has been off ball. Uh, and then Brian Belichick just finished his fourth year as a safeties coach. And during that time, we knew this was a ball hawking secondary. You saw Jabril Peppers have a career year this year. Kyle Duggar break out last season. I think he, he had an underwhelming first half, but kind of rebounded nicely uh, in the back end. Safety always been a strong uh, position for this team. So I don't know if Steve and or Brian will stay. I will say it would not surprise me if one of them does. Obviously, the other option probably being Bill getting a head coaching job somewhere. We talked about Dallas last week. If you thought that was wildly reckless, and it certainly was speculative, uh, the Cowboys very soon might need a new head coach. We'll just have to wait and see. Atlanta being the obvious destination there. But specific to Steve and Brian, who, again, I think are good defensive coaches, fluent in everything Patriots, certainly. Um, they have young families in the area. They might not want to uproot in a way that they've literally never had to forget as full-time position coaches, but just young adults as kids growing up in New England ever since their dad took this job and they haven't been anywhere else since 2000. So maybe they're more flexible. Maybe they're not. I don't know. Uh, but we will see in the coming days. The other big coaching news today came out from Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network, where Gerard Mayo has extended his first interview invite for a defensive coordinator job. And for those who missed it, uh, the Patriots have not had a defensive coordinator since I joined the beat. Okay. That was in 2018. The last time was in 2017 with Matt Patricia. Brian Flores took over for a year. He's a play caller, but uh, we don't really care about titles all of a sudden. Uh, it doesn't matter because he then left to take over the Dolphins head coaching job. But Steve never got the title. Gerard obviously never got the title. And so the first person who might have the chance to land this is Tem Lukabu, who is the linebackers coach for the Panthers this year. Before that, three years as the defensive coordinator of Boston College. 2019, the year before that stint, he was a linebackers coach with Cincinnati, Mississippi State, the season before that in 2018, and then two years with the Niners. Um, in you know, early 2010, he's working with Greg Schiano between Rutgers and the Buccaneers. So a couple notes on Tem Lukabu, what this says, because I think this is a really notable move for Gerard, and not in the sense that I frankly know Tem at all. I know he's 42. I know he played linebacker at Colgate. I know all the stuff I just told you. But when you look at someone who not only has never worked inside New England before, and there's overlap, like BC staff, when he was a defensive coordinator there, visited with the Patriots, you know, Shiano's running similar schemes and techniques, some of which Belichick even adopted when uh, Shiano was at Rutgers, Shiano was supposed to come up here, yada, yada. But Gerard's first name here is a guy who, yes, probably is looking for a job because Carolina is undergoing coaching changes, but is very similar to him in being an ex-college player, at least, tend to not play in the pros. Almost all of his experience is working with linebackers. He had a little bit of a, a cup of coffee working with the secondary in San Francisco in 2017 and uh, 2015 Florida Atlantic. Like th this dude's resume is just peak uh, coach in one year here, next season there, off anyway. But he's someone who seems to approach the game and have similar experience to Gerard Mayo. In addition to that, he would satisfy the Rooney rule, which as of a couple of years ago mandates that teams opening up their coordinator positions, offensive or defensive, must interview one external minority candidate. And Tem Lukabu would satisfy that right away. So between the type of person that Gerard is looking for, someone who, yes, is outside New England, but has similar experience, and also, if hired, maybe not as defensive coordinator, but possibly linebackers coach, um, that's a position that he would trust, Gerard would, his old position, to someone like this, and satisfy the Rooney rule, says 
Tem might not even be here as a defensive coordinator, but if he does, he's someone that drives values and trust. And if it's not him as a defensive coordinator, the Patriots seem to be moving quickly. And again, I don't say this as any kind of commentary about his ability as a head coach or what the Patriots are thinking, but go back a year ago. Okay, the Patriots are interviewing Keaton McCardell and Adrian Clem and Bill O'Brien and Sean Jefferson and Nick Cayley for their offensive coordinator position. Everyone's going, Keaton McCardell, Sean Jefferson, Adrian Clem's at Oregon. What are we, what are we doing here? Well, Belichick used that offensive coordinator search initiated by Robert Kraft to interview guys for position coach openings that they might have had if they had been accepted. Because obviously Bill O'Brien was target number one. He was the last to interview. He was the first to get hired for that job. But a couple of weeks later, hey, Adrian Clem, why don't you come to Vegas? We're going to be down there at the East West Shrine Bowl. We'll interview you again for the job that we really want you for, which is offensive line coach. Okay, They match the salary that Oregon had offered to raise uh, for him to stay. Adrian did not. He comes aboard. So I think Gerard would be wise to use these defensive coordinator interviews and upcoming offensive coordinator interviews as interviews that also serve for him to recruit or at least gather intel on coaches he's interested in as potential position coaches. Now, we would have to sort some things out, right? Like if Steve Belichick chooses to stay and Tim's like, yeah, I'll come to New England. There's some overlap there. Steve does have experience coaching elsewhere. Again, called the defense, knows it back to front. But it was a very interesting first name and that I think it, it speaks to Gerard wanting to go outside of New England, some different ideas, but there's enough overlap where he's not totally foreign to the concepts and techniques and drills and fundamentals they want to drill, and is a guy that I think could be on staff, even if it's not, for the position that he's supposedly going to interview for um, as Ian Rappaport reported today. So that's it. Uh, no more names here to come up. I will say, though, if the Patriots wanted to conduct this defensive coordinator search as fast as possible, okay, satisfy the Rooney rule, which they just did with Tim Lukavu, and then interview DeMarcus Covington and just hire DeMarcus Covington, they could do that. That's as quick as this could be. They don't have to wait on Steve's answer. That's what Gerard wants to do. And I'm not saying it is, but DeMarcus and Steve are your top internal candidates for this job. And Gerard, of course, is not going to go outside the family to run his own defense. This is the one he played in. This is the one he coached. So I would still lean towards DeMarcus Covington as being the top candidate for this job. And the fact that they might be able to hire him as soon as the end of the week for this, because whenever this interview is done with Tim might be over. That's it. As far as restraints on the search or the to-do list, one external minority candidate, then go nuts. Will they? Won't they? I don't know. We'll see. It's going to be a fun week, a couple of weeks here in New England. So it's sad to say, but we all knew this was coming. The Patriots season is over. Then again, the NFL playoffs are here and you can still win on your own at America's number one sports book, FanDuel. FanDuel right now is offering new customers $150 in bonus bets, guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. That's $150 waiting, wanting for you at FanDuel. All in bonus bets, win or lose. The FanDuel app is so easy to use, and there are so many different ways to bet, like live same-game parlays. Believe it, I've used it. Celtics games all the time. You can also find new bets in the new Explore tab. You can make a parlay in the Parlay Hub, the best way to find popular parlays, and lots, lots more. Money line, point spread, you name it. So visit FanDuel.com slash Boston and make your first bet a layup. FanDuel, the official partner of the NFL. Must be 21 years or older and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. First online real money wager only. 
$10 first deposit is required. Bonus is issued as a non-withdrawable bonus bet that expires seven days after receipt. Restrictions do apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 533-42 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccp.org slash chat in Connecticut and Indiana. Call 1-800-9-WITH-IT, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. In Louisiana, that's 1-877-770-STOP. Maryland, visit mdgamblinghelp.org. In West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net or call 1-800-522-4700. In Wyoming, hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. Okay, on to the GM stuff. So, what I can do here today is echo a lot of the reporting that you've heard if you've been following along. Right off the top, do not expect the crafts who have never done this in their entire tenure to name a general manager. In their eyes, the general manager is at the top of football operations, which includes the coaching staff and the personnel side. What they want is a structure where Gerard reports to them on the coaching side and this new head of personnel, vice president of you know, player personnel, director of player personnel, whatever the title is going to be, will also report to them. It's a parallel power structure. Now, those two people are going to have to speak to each other, obviously, probably on a daily basis and work from the same playbook and understanding and speak the same language and values and all that. But when we talk about a GM search from here on out, I know that that's a misnomer. Okay, but it gets across the point to you that they're looking for the next person to put in charge of personnel. If We don't have the title yet. I'm just going to keep calling it the GM conversation, even though. That's not what it's going to be. So uh, according to reports, and I mentioned one of these names the last time we checked in, Elliot Wolf and Matt Groh will remain in leadership roles with the front office and seemingly lead it through the draft. Okay. Now, before we get to that, because I understand this has some people wanting to jump off the Tobin uh, as they hear this news, I would say this, and this is something you have not heard elsewhere, I don't believe. I know the crafts have done background on external candidates for this GM, not GM job. Okay. And so with the research that they did, that doesn't mean that they don't want to hire anyone outside permanently. It's at least that they're comfortable with whatever intel they got back with their own internal candidates. Guys who like Wolf have spent two decades in the NFL. Matt Groh, extremely smart guy, went to Princeton. Steve Cargile, director of pro scouting. He went to Columbia. Wolf went to Miami. Um, Cam Williams, director of college scouting, went to Ohio State, ex-player. Like they're confident in this internal group because they weren't so wowed by the people that they were doing research on to bring them in immediately and to have them install an entirely new system uh, or how they're going to go about all these processes as far as incorporating analytics or how they scout and yada, yada. But what this says between the external research and the promoting from within, at least temporarily, is that they saw Bill Belichick as a problem when it came to personnel. That's obvious, right? Like we talked about this before stories of him just looking across the draft board and going from a different column as far as who's the top rated player. And sometimes he was even reluctant to draft the top rated players. We heard from Jeff Howe, the athletic friend of the bot that Mac Jones was their top rated player when they had the 15th overall pick in 2021. And he wanted to make sure and went around say, okay, is this the guys who we really want? In my understanding and speaking to folks who, uh, have knowledge of the situation in that draft room is that, yeah, there was a good consensus. So this was not Bill reluctantly picking Mac, but 
It's just he had the wherewithal, the ability, and the precedent of just going somewhere else other than the top-rated guy. The craft said enough of that. Not only is this going to be collaborative where you check in more, um, you're, you're just going to be gone and we're going to leave the people in place to take that job. Now, again, I can't say, just like with Gerard, I think he's a very, very good coach. I know Elliot's extremely experienced. He's well-respected. He's got a good network with inside the league. Macro is going to be as dedicated and as smart, really, as they come in that position. I don't know how this is going to go. But I will say that Wolf, for all of the fears of maybe the Patriots are just running it back, this is going to be the same mold. It's the different names, but the game is the same, the approach, philosophy, et cetera. This guy comes from a different school of thought when it comes to evaluation and drafting and free agency. Again, he grew up under Ron Wolf, Hall of Fame executive. That's his dad in Green Bay, built a Super Bowl champion. I'm not saying he's Ron or will be Ron or will ever sniff the Hall of Fame. What I'm telling you is that what Elliot believes and values comes from that place and that time and that person. And those values of those Packer teams were, we do not spend very much in free agency. Tape over everything. That's it. You might come to practice for a little bit, but that doesn't matter. I'll watch the tape later, okay? Whereas some scouts are looking much more at body language. You're going more in on psychological evaluations, or you've heard me talk a lot about analytics. Not Elliot, okay? And obviously they had success in Green Bay. And Elliot spent a couple years in Cleveland. Obviously it's been here in New England where it's, you know, a, a more of a, a mesh of things. But what I'm telling you is that, yes, he's been in the front office. You could still get a very different approach to the draft with his leadership, whether that's better or not. I don't know. Nobody does, but we're all going to find out. And as far as the idea of postponing that search, first of all, I, there is an opportunity cost. Absolutely. Okay. We'll get to that in a second. But Michael Holly told us this last week. And I can't believe it slipped my mind as we kind of talk about this whole GM conversation because most of the hay for the draft is in the barn. Like all of the draft eligible players, um, Caleb Williams declared seconds before we started recording, by the way, Don't, not a surprise to anyone. They have a grade on his tape. Yes, they still want to do interviews. Yes, they still need to dive into maybe some modeling and some research and some background. But like the scouts are on the road 300 days out of the year for a reason. It's to build that board, which is largely set by now. It's the media. It's people like me and you that catch up over these next four months and pretend like guys are falling or rising. That's not the case. Okay, the draft board is mostly there. So the crafts are saying instead of having someone come in like an offensive coordinator or a defensive coordinator stepping in the week before an opener and said, no, 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 all that stuff in training camp you did, OTAs, preseason, forget about it. We're doing this system. This is the playbook. These are the drills. This is the language we're going to use. That's essentially what a new GM who's not going to come from a totally new philosophy, but would do to this front office at this stage of the game as far as preparing for the draft and for agency. They're not going to do that. And as I mentioned, these are all hardworking, smart guys. The difference is, of course, they'll now have more of a say than they did when Bill was here. Do I expect that to lead to drastically better results? I don't know. What I'm doing, though, is opening the door to change here when I understand the knee-jerk reaction, even from folks here, like in the media, to TV Friday Night with John Tomasi being like, how is this going to be any different? These are all internal promotions. We'll get to this with Gerard. But the downside, of course, is not only just that part where you feel like, well, they learned under Bill, they're going to act like Bill. I'll push back on that specific to Gerard in a minute. The downside is if you do not hire a GM now, and you could do, you kind of split the difference here, right? If it's a Bob Quinn or a John Robinson, or a Dave Ziegler. They speak the language, they understand the values, you know, all of the positional requirements, et cetera, is that some of those guys are going to go, 
I, I don't want to wait till May. I'm good enough. You bring me in. You hire me now. You look at your roster. You look at your drafts, your inability to sign guys in free agency. You should want me over them. And so the crafts are okay losing out on some of those candidates. How many of those candidates are out because of this timeline? Again, I don't know. But that obviously is the downside here. Now, just to wrap a bow on this, and then we'll get to why I think, you know, the, the concern about Gerard running things back is, is, is unfounded or will be proven to be unfounded. There is precedent if the crafts go through these next four months, a massively critical four months, and that just like whatever Gerard does with the staff is going to lay the foundation for the next five to possibly 10 years for the franchise, what the Patriots do in the draft, for agency, et cetera, they could as the Bills did in 2017, let the current regime finish out the draft. And then going into May, when there is mostly turnover in the NFL, you look at scouts changing teams, executives, promotions, all that stuff happens after the draft. The Bills in 2017 hired Sean McDermott in January. He took over as a head coach. Doug Whaley, their GM at the time, stayed through May, then left. Then Brandon Bean, who was going to be the guy the whole time, had been in Carolina with McDermott, comes into Buffalo the following year, 11, 12 months later, they draft Josh Allen, they get off and running. So that worked out, obviously, for Buffalo. The most important decisions, though, were nailing the GM, which they did in Bean, very good executive, and then the quarterback. So if those decisions are not made in the four months, as much as I just said, this is going to lay the foundation for the next five, 10 years, but they choose to go with the stopgap veteran because they don't like the quarterbacks in this draft. And we've all said generational prospects can't miss, Drake May, Caleb Williams, yada, yada. Maybe they're not. Who knows? We all felt that way about 2021. There's Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson and Trey Lance. One, two, three, top three picks. Two of them should have hit, right? Nope. One, probably. Actually, just one, definitely. Maybe zero. Kidding. But Trevor Lawrence was the only guy out of that draft that we felt there were five legitimate starters when you include Justin Field and Mac Jones. I'm not saying that Caleb Williams and Drake May will bust, but if the Patriots don't get either of them at three, and pass on Jaden Daniels and move forward, that next GM hire still needs to be made in May. And that quarterback, obviously, they'll find in the near future too. So those decisions are much more important, whatever they are made, than the timeline. Okay, If it doesn't happen now, it doesn't mean disaster. There is risk involved, losing out on candidates, as I just highlighted. But think of what's most important. Is it the schedule and the calendar or the people that are going to be in place whenever that is? And maybe the Crafts do ultimately stick with Matt Grell and Elliot Wolf. You have every reason to be uh, disappointed if that's the way that you want to feel. I'm going to let this play out over the next four months, at least until May, whenever they announce the new head of the personnel department. Or maybe it'll be Wednesday. Who knows? But as far as Gerard goes, I am already on the record saying this is a gamble. And I think it's a good one. And this is not going to be run it back with 37-year-old ex-player Bill as much as he might have been nicknamed Gerard Belichick back in the day. And I will point to one quote that Gerard gave earlier this month about just his approach and his philosophy that I think any of the angst is fair, but any anger about Gerard is totally unfounded if you think this is just going to be a repeat. Because the quote was, I coach out of love. And I don't know about you, but I cannot think of anything more antithetical to Belichick's approach to coaching, philosophy, career, then the relationship for Gerard with his players, that's a starting point. You're in here. 
I'm going to show you love. I want to get to know you because my bet is over time, that will get the best out of you. That's how I connect with you. That's how I maximize your talent and understanding and our trust. Then we build up from here. It's not, you do what I say, and then here come the list of demands. No, it's let me meet you eye to eye. That's Gerard Mayo's approach. Now, of course, he still needs to execute it. How well will he execute it? We'll see. But no way have you ever heard I coach out of love from Eric Mangini, Joe Judge, Matt Patricia, all these failed Belichick acolytes, okay, that failed because they were doing Bill impersonations. Gerard is secure enough to be his own man. I don't know if he'll be a successful head coach, but as far as someone who can rejuvenate this organization, modernize it, be a player's coach, and connect with this generation, and is very smart as far as his uh, football IQ goes and emotional intelligence, he checks all those boxes. The issue for me has only been they decided on this after just four seasons of him as a head coach and supposedly, according to Albert Breer, expressed after three, hey, you might be our guy whenever Bill leaves. That's not a whole lot of time as a head coach. And I get the eight years as a player and a couple of years in between in business when they kept in touch, Strahd and the Crafts, matters. But as I talked about with Michael Holly last week, nobody knows how they're going to react when you step into that high-pressurized, high-leverage, high-stakes type of job as a head coach until you do it in the same way that Michael said, and I don't know this because I'm not a parent, until you become a mother or a father or whatever. And we're all going to learn together. Gerard's going to learn about himself in that role. I like the bet. There is some risk. Um, and we'll see. Last thing on this, the real hard work has really just begun. I mentioned the big decisions of who matters more than when as far as the GM goes, the head coach. I'm going to add one more, and we're going to talk about this in the mailbag. Offensive coordinator. Those are the three positions the Patriots absolutely need to nail because Gerard Mayo can be a fine head coach. Bill Belichick was still a good head coach here. What he failed at was nailing the quarterback, being the GM, and to a degree, well, certainly in 2022, the offensive coordinator. Those three positions sunk Belichick more than him functioning and working as a head coach, a position he's still fit to carry out and is the greatest of all time. So as Gerard moves forward, that's the hard work here. That's where the Patriots can and must begin to turn things around. And if they miss, then they're not going anywhere. And it doesn't matter who the head coach is or who we talk to on Wednesday because the quarterback, the offensive coordinator, and the GM, that's what's powering the modern league and can overcome, honestly, an average head coach. There's only so much an elite head coach can do if all of those positions are performing at a below average level or even hurting the team. And if you don't believe me, I would just say uh, revisit recent Patriots history, starting with when Tom Brady left in March 2020. Okay, on the mailbag. Like I said, we have, I think I said 10, I think that was right, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 10, 11, 12. All right, so 12 questions here. Uh, I think we had over 20 Apologies to those folks who do not get their questions picked. I figured there was some sort of overlap or I already answered these questions based on what we just talked about here. Leading off, Andrew De Silva. It's not because he has such a handsome first name, but this man has done his homework. He's got a big board, it sounds like, like the whiteboard behind me. And he has three names on his big board. Keenan McCardell, Wes Phillips, and Chris O'Hara as Andrew makes his own offensive coordinator search. And... All of these uh, coaches work for the Vikings. Wes Phillips is the offensive coordinator under uh, Kevin O'Connell, who calls the plays. So Andrew's saying, quote, Mayo's potential connection with O'Connell could have him waiting to adopt an offense similar to Minnesota. 
Phillips is OC, but would calling plays make it a promotion? First of all, yes, that would be a promotion. Second of all, I, meh, I think it's how I would capture my feelings about these coaches. Let's start with Phillips. Uh, if you you Google him, because I, you know, if you want to make your own list, as I just suggested that Andrew's do again, I will be making myself shortly. Like just just Google these guys, see what comes up, watch their interviews, build your own impressions, as opposed to just leaning on me or other people in the media uh, for for names to list to. As the Patriots more likely engage in an offensive coordinator search, and what you'll find with Wes Phillips is that, as Andrew said, he's not calling plays. He's also served mostly as a tight ends coach uh, in Minnesota. Before that, under Sean McVay with the Rams. Before that, you know, under McVay again at the start of his tenure in Washington before McVay left and he stayed under Jay Gruden. And before Washington worked for his dad and Jason Garrett in Dallas when Wade Phillips and then Jason Garrett were the head coaches. So my caution with Wes is not only that, well, actually the most recent thing you'll find about Wes is he was arrested for DWI a couple of months ago. But that aside is... When you heard me list those stops and the positions he's worked with, you don't hear a lot of quarterback. And what the Patriots need is someone to develop their next-gen quarterback. The failure to do that in 2022 with Matt Patricia and Joe Judge, and very much so, yes, Bill Belichick, is what began this whole cratering of the past two years. That position needs to be handled and taken care of and prioritized. And I look at Wes Phillips and go, yeah, these are pretty good offenses. But if you want to think about Kirk Cousins hitting a new level in his career, and the scheme that they run, the starting point for that is Kevin O'Connell. It's not Wes Phillips. Um, and you might go, okay, Chris O'Hara, he's the quarterback's coach for Minnesota. He's in the, only been there a couple years with Kirk. I mean, as has the whole staff. Before that, another ex-Rams assistant, as was Kevin O'Connell. So he worked with Matthew Stafford. We saw Matthew Stafford win the Super Bowl with Chris O'Hara as his position coach. I just have a hard time, again, giving the position coaches a lot of credit for hands-on work when those two quarterbacks, Kirk Cousins and Matthew Stafford, are kind of, you know, at the final stage of their career. Like, they are who they are at this point, right? Not to mention when you're working for an offensive coach who's going to be very hands-on and influential, not only in the quarterback development, but organizing the whole offense. So right now that's Kevin O'Connell, before it was Sean McVay, and I just don't feel great about handing the keys uh, even to Keenan McCardell because, again, he's a receivers coach. I think he's excellent at that. Certainly has respect here in New England, developed the hell out of Justin Jefferson, but the next guy needs to be someone with a quarterback background. And I would say within the last five to 10 years, proven he can develop a quarterback, at least for me. Uh, and we'll get to that list later this week, if not next week. Richard Wright, Mr. Wright, what's up? Quote, in your view, is O'Brien staying as offensive coordinator? Who is the backup next year? Mac or Zappi? Who will make the final call on the number three pick? Okay, so lots here. Um, in my view, I've said, as I said all along about Gerard Mayo being the favorite to be the Patriots next head coach, I will continue to say that I see Bill O'Brien as the favorite right now, Monday, January 15th, to be the Patriots next OC. But if Gerard opens up a search and Bill Belichick lands in Atlanta or Dallas or wherever, Belichick might want to take O'Brien. And if Bill O'Brien has more faith in Bill Belichick to be a solid head coach who's been uh, will be in the same place for three to four years than he does Gerard Mayo and not risk being the sacrificial lamb. If let's say things get off to a slow start under Gerard, he might just follow Bill. So there's Bill O'Brien's own feelings about this. There are the other candidates to consider that Gerard might bring in. And he surely has seen guys like Mike Vrabel, formerly of the Patriots, you know, very distant coaching tree. We're getting into semantics here. He's 
Vrabel never worked for Belichick, but obviously you listen to him now, carries a lot of the same philosophy. Mike Vrabel went outside of the family with Matt LaFleur and Arthur Smith, who absolutely crushed it in their years as offensive coordinator down in Tennessee. And Gerard can say, okay, I'm going to make a short list of the guys who gave me problems calling games against them, hire one of them and bring them in. At that point, given how badly things went last year, and I know Gerard has a good relationship with Bill O'Brien, that might also knock out Bill O'Brien. But as of right now, the second, I'm still going to say Bill O'Brien is the favorite to be the offensive coordinator in 2024. Who is the backup next year? Uh, I believe it'll be Bailey Zappi. I'm not ruling out a Mac return, but uh, Bailey is cheaper. He has another year on his contract. He is not making as much uh, trouble, I would say, with his confidence or antics um, here and there. And it's not like Bailey's been an angel. I mean, you know, Albert Breer detailed this in the report. Like the reason that room was so icy was as much as much Mac as it was Zappi. But, you know, like the highest of the highs for this offense this year were with Bailey Zappi there. And I think if they feel like they can race his floor, he's a backup. He'll stay cheaper, longer contract, et cetera. Who's a, who will make the final call on the number three pick? Great question. Huge question. I didn't address this earlier, uh, and it's because I don't know. And I don't think the Patriots know right now. But it is absolutely critical, and you can bet that if I don't ask it Wednesday, which I, I plan to, um, somebody else will when we get to that press conference with Gerard and Robert. All right, going a little faster. Sox Nation, the whole nation being represented with this one question. Um, quote, if Josh McDaniels ends up as offensive coordinator, do you think that will make Drake May the favorite for the Pats over Jaden Daniels based on style of play? So Drake May gets the, I think I've said this before, um, and there's like a real psychological phenomenon to this. I don't have the name. I'm just going to call it the looks the part bump. Okay. Quarterback, 6'5", 6'6", strong arm, white dude, handsome, like looks the part. So he gets the tiebreaker. And I'm not saying he's not a better player than Jaden Daniels. My point is, I get the, he's a pocket bound guy. I think Josh has evolved to be more open to guys that don't fit that mold in a way that Drake obviously does. And Drake can extend some plays, but Jane, uh, Jane Daniels might be running a 4-4 four, four, or 4-5 four, at the combine. He, he is more athletic. That's just a fact aside from whatever he looks like. And so I would say that Josh will be more open to guys that don't look like Mac Jones or Jimmy G or Tom Brady. Uh, how he feels about them as players, I don't know. Um, I would also just say before the Patriots make a pick at three, unless they trade up, they're completely dependent and beholden to Whatever the teams ahead of them do at one and then Washington at two, and it seems almost certain Washington's going to take a quarterback. So, however Josh feels, if Josh is here, and I will say this, uh, Josh has been sniffing around for weeks. He has been local. He has been back. I think he would be comfortable in an assistant head coach role, if not offensive coordinator. So, <laughs> I think my larger point is we're getting way ahead here in a way that might not even matter, even come draft night because of how things go ahead of them. Um, and I still have to do most of my research on these quarterbacks. So we will see Jordan uh, quote. If they don't bring in a GM until after the draft, who will be focused on re-signing players and attacking for agency? Please don't tell me it's Matt quote. If you want fast guys, draft fast guys grow. I had not heard that nickname for him. What I have heard though. Uh, and this is, this is not new. If you've been listening to the podcast is that Elliot Wolf has handled on his own for agent negotiations with veterans, uh, internal and external, that were a bit more complicated typically than those that Matt Groh has handled. And that speaks to his experience. It speaks to his network, his being in multiple different spots as opposed to Matt Groh's coming up the same front office his entire life as an NFL um, personnel evaluator. So my sense would be it would be Elliot as far as focus, again, on final say, 
I don't know. Because, and I should be clear about this as much as I bring Elliot up, Matt Groh still is the top-ranking official in the Patriots front office. So even if you or I or somebody else thinks, oh, Elliot looks um, you know, more fit for that role and perhaps more deserving, none of it matters. The only thing that matters is what the Crafts think, and we don't know what they think. And we might not even after Wednesday when we get to ask them those questions. But right now, I think the assumption we should all work from is that they are <laughs> co-GMs. Let's just put it like that. And what that'll mean, though, when it comes to the final say on contracts, which also they don't. I mean, they would, they would have to go through Bill when they had those negotiations, again, to be clear about how things were in the past. And Richard Miller, who I don't remember his exact title, but Richard is their cap guy. He deals a lot more with um, you know the, the structure of the contracts, which are based on the cash flow for the crafts, when these guys are going to get paid out. Like signing bonuses for them are, are paid out at a different time than other teams. My point being that there will be a lot of people involved. And as far as focus, like Elliot will be there. Steve Cargile deserves mention, director of the pro scouting. So those two, I think, are your leaders in that department. But will they have final say? I don't know. B Pop, P-O-P-P, quote, what do you think is going to happen to the offensive staff? Do you think there's any chance they move on to a new offensive scheme? So uh, I think I, I kind of just answered this. Yes, I do think there is a chance. I do not know what is going to happen with the offensive staff. I will tell you that aside from Adrian Clem, and Bill O'Brien, there are assistants on the offensive side who are up. Their contracts are either expired or about to expire. And so that will be up to Gerard and whomever the offensive coordinator is. And if you read the piece I co-authored with Doug Kide a couple of weeks ago about just why things went so badly for that offense, which is the reason this is no longer the Bill Belichick era that we are recording and talking about the Patriots in, um, it was the offense and it was an issue. So I would expect some changes, either guys following Belichick to his next stop or the new OC coming in and being like, I'm bringing in my own guys. Or Bill O'Brien saying, all right, these guys are up. Well, we're going to hire somebody else. Ganey. Ganey? It's G-A-N-Y, not Gary. Uh, Ganey. <laughs> Why did Bill keep the coaching staff small so as higher coaches getting paid by other teams? Was he paid by a percent of the team's profits or something and so wanted to minimize spending? It seems possible he'd have a contract um, give it such a contract, excuse me, given how much value he's added to the franchise. So this is a very good question. The answer, as I understanding it, is not so much to do with money. Obviously, the money is a central tenet of this. That's why you're asking. It's more philosophy. Bill wants a small staff because it's easier to get everyone rowing in the same direction and passing on his message, just like it would be with a game of telephone playing with one or two people than it is 13 other offensive analysts or whatever the hell they have going on in Alabama or Dallas, where they have one of the biggest staffs. And then there's less infighting. Now, it doesn't prohibit infighting. But Bill has always, going back to the early dynasty, preferred a small, trustworthy, hardworking, fully committed and loyal coaching staff. And it's often been one of the smaller ones in the league. So, yes, I do think they could have benefited from some consultants or some offensive analysts that built trust to come in and have, you know, expand the diversity of thought, something we've talked about a lot. Now, when he does hire coaches like Matt Patricia and Joe Judge, what that was when they first came back, uh, at least in Patricia, J Judge was a different sense. It's a way to expand the staff, not sacrifice any kind of loyalty or hard work and keep it on the cheap. And this was part of the conversation between Belichick and Kraft. If I had to bet, and this is not any hard reporting, my sense is Bill had a budget for his coaching staff or does every single year. And like with players, and I know this part is true, kind of gives them a value. 
Like Dante's Garnecki was worth X amount. Vinny Sinceri or Tory Brown is worth this. If they get an offer to leave, then they take it and go elsewhere. And just like with a player, if they get a higher offer elsewhere and want to take it, go ahead. Because in Bill's mind, that exceeded their value, whatever they were worth. What those values are, I don't know. But I hopefully uh, give you some answers what you thought there or what you're asking here. Because it, it is a really good question. I think will be interesting to see how Gerard builds out his staff. How much larger is it? Um, are there different titles? Are there different roles? How much is, you know, are these guys being paid? Because in some instances, just like Adrian Clem a year ago, when he got hired away from Oregon, we knew exactly how much Adrian Clem was making in Oregon because it was part of the public record. I don't think Gerard is going to dip into the college ranks for a bunch of new coaches. Uh, but if they do, um, that, that'll tell us something. All right. Mark, again, not Uncle Mark or uncle-in-law Mark, just, just friend Mark. Uh, quote, any idea what to expect from Wolf, Grow, Jonathan Kraft as far as draft strategy? Um, should we expect a bunch of trade downs like Bill, or could we see something like what Ziegler pulled when he was left, when he left and made a big trade for a star player? So the answer is no. And I, I wish I knew. I would also say that anyone telling you definitively that they know what Elliot Wolf's strategy is beyond the background I laid out for you, as far as what he values and what his philosophy is, is lying. Because this is the first time in New England that Elliot Wolf and Matt Grell will get to run business as they see fit. Now, your inclusion of Jonathan Kraft there is a good one. Because as we learned from Seth Wickersham in the latest ESPN story, Shout out Don Bidnana and, and Ray Thompson as well, who co-authored that piece. Jonathan got a little more involved towards the end. And not just in a way that was the end of the season sit-downs, and this is how things are going to go, but talking to people in the front office and football ops, hey, why is Bill doing this? With, according to the story, the undertones being, well, this might not be the same way all the time. And so, as with any ownership group, I would be, I think, afraid of as we put it, meddling. I know the Crafts have been wary of the perception that they have meddled, certainly in the last couple of seasons. And I would think to a degree, they've, they've earned this. Like the team's 8-9, then it's 4-13. and 13. Are you just going to sit back and not do anything? No, you're going to get involved. But as far as football decisions, anytime ownership is involved in those, I think it's a bad thing for a franchise. And so you would hope that Jonathan, just like any other owner in the league, would step back and let the people that they've hired and empowered to use that power to do what they think is best. These are football people making football decisions, okay? As far as supplies or goods or any other business the Crafts have, they're not asking Gerard Mayo to run them. That's because he doesn't know that area. So, I don't know. But I think we're going to find out together. And we will at least have one press conference, too, with uh, if they, they stay in these roles, Macro or Elliot Wolf, before the draft, as we have done the last couple of years. And sometimes Bill did those, um, but... It'll be interesting because obviously there'll be pointed questions about the draft, but also big picture ones about the whole philosophy and what they value. Because again, this is the first time they get to run their own show. How different is it going to be? We don't know. They just started. Gary, quote, does Mayo taking over as head coach change your opinion on the likelihood they keep or lose any of the priority free agents? He lists Trent Brown, Michael Wenu, Kendrick Bourne, Hunter Henry, Kyle Duggar, Josh Uche. The team has already been in contact with Kendrick Bourne. I can tell you that. Uh, I don't know the likelihood of him staying. You would think, you know, maybe they lean a little bit more towards those linebackers because it does sound like, according to Mass Live, Gerard will have input on the on the roster. I think he should. I think every head coach should. But it's tough to say. I, I would think that maybe there's a little bit greater likelihood if the team is going to spend more now that Bill is out, that 
maybe you pony up a little bit more to keep Mike on Wenu because Gerard on defense, just as everyone in the building did, but Gerard and the defense suffered in a way that was different from the offense going, we're doing our part. We're hanging in there. And this offensive line is screwing things up again for us and the offense as a whole. I don't think he'll want to suffer the same fate for a third straight year. So I would think maybe that Michael Wenu stays and there's a greater likelihood as for the rest of the guys, it's too early because again, I, I think it's really up to Macro and Elliot Wolf. What do they value? What do they see? What are their other options? I don't know. Also, what do these offers get? Like if Josh Uche gets, you know, $12, $14 million contract per year, see it. Enjoy. Like, good for you. But that's that's not going to happen here. Lawrence, uh, going way back here, but talking about the offensive coaching staff, quote, how different was the Texans' offense under Bill O'Brien compared to the McDaniels' Charlie Weiss offense, especially with Deshaun Watson at quarterback? So I think you're asking here to get out what a McDaniels offense might look like versus if Bill O'Brien stays and gets to, as some reports suggested, really do what he wants. And I would push back on that because Bill O'Brien, as I said at the time, was really going to be the head coach of the offense. And I think he was curbed by his personnel limitations and Belichick every Tuesday mapping out his vision for the upcoming game in a team coaching staff meeting and, and, and a staff meeting. And he would say, this is how it's going to go. This is how I want to play it work within this. He did the same thing for Josh McDaniels. So I would say that I don't think the offense would look drastically different. It would depend on personnel, of course. But in those years when it was Bill O'Brien running his own show, having full power schematically later in the years with roster control, it was more shotgun heavy than we have with Josh McDaniels. They ran empty sets more often where it's just a quarterback and then everyone spread out with five receivers, combination of tight ends, running backs. And I would say a little pass heavier, plus with some more RPOs. We didn't see a whole lot of either of those. Or, I mean, I haven't checked the shotgun under center splits, but it really doesn't matter. This year with O'Brien. Um, but that's those are the biggest differences. If you want to go back and compare, I would say the Charlie White stuff is, is almost irrelevant to modern football now as far as the personnel grouping you're using and at what rate, yada, yada. But you want, you want your question answered? There you go. Three more. Jacob, go. Is Mayo going to be given the latitude to fill out his coaching staff, or will the Crafts meddle in that area? According to the Ian Rappaport, today, Monday, 15th, Mayo will be empowered to make his own staff. I think he should. Um, I think they might have questions, as any boss who's spending a lot of money should. But it's my understanding Gerard will, will have uh, full say and full control. ZC, speaking of coaching staffs, quote, which former players of any do you think would want to coach alongside Mayo? So it's interesting you bring this up, ZC, because James White on the Off the Pike podcast, Brian Barrett, friend of this podcast, said that he would be up for coaching with Gerard. But <laughs> he's not up for that staying up until 11 p.m. every night uh, up at 5 or 6. He has young kids. Um, maybe we'll talk about this with James in the near future. But he came to mind as someone who's trustworthy, overlap with Gerard, uh, hardworking guy. And look, that goes for a lot of Patriots players. But the issue is really what James just brought up. In that podcast, do you want to work 16 hours a day? Are you okay with not seeing your family basically from July through the end of January? And then when you get back in the spring, oh, it's only 14, 12, 14 hour days. Uh, most guys, self-included, would say no. I would keep an eye, though, on uh, Matthew Slater in some kind of capacity because it certainly seems like he's about to retire. Is it as a team character coach or pastor? I don't know. But I don't think he's going to go too far. Last one. Mads Mickelson with cat ears at Donuts and Tings. 
if you had told me this is how the podcast was going to end, saying those words all together, I don't know how much money I would have lost to you saying no F and Y. Anyway, his question, Mads, Mods, Mickelson, whatever. Uh, quote, given the lack of weapons and O-line issues, would you suggest building the offensive line and wide receiver core this draft and then look to get a quarterback next year? So I will reiterate what I said earlier. And we have a long way to go to the draft. I wish I had uh, spicier or better research takes. I just have not had the time to watch these players and tape it for my own opinions. But I will say this. I don't think you need to pick and choose. I think you need to acquire as much draft capital and selections as possible. Invest in all three of those positions. And before you even get there, you need to handle this in free agency. Like I think the starting point should be doing your best to fix the offensive line in free agency. To give folks like City Sow and Antonio Maffi, time to develop as opposed to be throwing into the fire. Now, that's a lot of the interior line, and we know the issues have been a tackle. Just get a couple of bookends, whether it's re-signing Mike Gunwenu and signing someone new opposite him, but then I think you go into the draft, as they typically do on day three, to fill in those backup spots. Um, and I would say they might go to the quarterback. This, this is what I said earlier. There is a chance they don't find their franchise quarterback in this draft, and that's going to suck. It would feel like as I'm sure Bills fans did in 2017, even though they went to the playoffs with McDermott in that first year, that, oh, Tyrod Taylor or some sort of um, you know similar player and profile and stature and experience is the Patriots quarterback for 2024. But if they're able to then surprise because you have a veteran in place and set in a foundation, however Mayo wants to do things, and then the next year trade up into the top 10 and then get the quarterback and you nail it, all of which, we, of course, we won't know if they nailed it. Most people thought Josh Allen was a bust after his first season. Hand up, two hands up. That was me. But if they do nail it, that's the most important part. Of course, we're all going to bitch and moan in the media if they don't take a quarterback and scratch every edge and hire a GM tomorrow, and yada, yada, yada. Just breathe. Let the situation play out. It's kind of a rant to go on on my own. Um, but I would just say they might not think that any of these quarterbacks are good enough. doesn't mean they're right. It doesn't mean they're wrong, but that is a possibility, especially picking third in a draft that many have already said and seen as being a two-quarterback draft with Caleb Williams and Drake May. Personally, I would do my best to find a quarterback, and if not, plenty of other good players at the top, Marvin, uh, Marvin Harrison Jr., uh, Joe Alt, and we'll get to a lot of that in the next couple of months. So handle the O-line, though, in free agency, and then go nuts in the draft with a quarterback and receivers. That'll do it. Thanks for hanging in on a Monday. Again, press conference Wednesday at noon. Gerard Mayo introduced as the Patriots head coach. We will have a guest on Thursday or Friday to wrap up that press conference and find out what other answers to, honestly, a lot of the questions you asked me uh, that will then go to the crafts. If you have any more questions, find me on Twitter. Hit me up via email. I have caught my breath. I am ready to go full speed, not full throttle, uh, for the rest of the year as far as the Patriots go. And I'm excited. It's a new era. It's a new offseason. This team might not be very good on the field next season. But until then, it will be fascinating to see how they remake themselves in a way that uh, it's it's hard to fathom. Again, like it's there are very few memories I have of non-Bill Belichick era football. So just going into that unknown is, is a lot of mixed feelings. Um, but it's exciting. It's fresh. It's new. And these next steps, these next few weeks and certainly months are going to be massive for the future of the franchise. All right, we'll see you in a couple days.